The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm Russell Matthews. And welcome to episode 88 of The Big Picture for the week beginning December 4 and coming up on today's show. What on earth is Billy Lynn's long halftime walk? Find out soon. Yep, and we will talk about the most talked about TV show in Australia, First Contact. Plus, Justin Timberlake, a Pitch Perfect star, and Dami Im. Dami Im. Enter the place of colourful cartoon trolls in Trolls. That's coming up real soon. And, uh, well... What the? Uh, uh, I didn't. Know. I was about to say hello. What the what? I was about to say hello to various people that are in the studio at the moment. But because two of you are, are back, one Sam, welcome back after you becoming much. a father very hello, recently. Sam, I know. I've had very little sleep over the last little while, so we'll see how we go this evening. <laughs> All right. Glad, glad you woke up to be here. But also, Russ Matthews, you're joining us because Mark Hadley's not here. Where is Mark Hadley? Well, you know what? I've actually shipped him off to the United States. Oh, you little, did it finally. Yeah, yeah. Thank finally you. off to the United States. Get a little fried chicken in him and. No, uh, he'll be able to enjoy the the, sa- the southern part of the United States. All oh, right, so he's on a fried chicken fried chicken tour of the United States at the moment. So you'll be with us what the next two weeks? I, w- I will. Fantastic. All right. Well, that's enough talk about Mark Hadley eating chicken. <laughs> yeah. I think we should get to finding out what's happening in film at the moment, Russ. Yeah. You know, we have a couple things coming up in film. Um, we have a limited release. It's a Disney release of the uh, the Queen of Cotway, which is a 2016 American biographical sports drama film. A 2016 American biographical. <laughs> Sports drama. I never say that fast ten times. <laughs> Based loosely on a true story. I always love when they say loosely on a true story. But it's uh, the Queen of Cotways about a Ugandan girl who lived in the slum who goes on to perform at the World Chess Olympiad. All oh, right. Now that opened at cinemas what last week, but it's only on limited release. It's only on limited release. Okay. So, but you, definitely worthwhile going out and checking out. And then also uh, to another extreme from uh, from the international chess championships. There's know, not another movie about that. I know that. you're overwhelmed with enthusiasm for the over <laughs> the the world of chess Olympiads. Not to offend any chess players out there but we're going to go to another extreme um, you thought that the war between vampires was over but no it's not underworld blood wars is back and mm-hmm. ben will be reviewing that later on uh, next week on Actually, next week's next show week we'll show. be talking about underworld blood wars <laughs> all right ben what about the small screen mate on the small screen this week abc back road season two episode two kicks off that's happening um tomorrow night monday eight o'clock the host of it, Heather Hewitt, is going through, as the title would describe, Backroads of Australia, discover discover more remarkable country towns and the people that live in them, including, on tomorrow night's show, a big-hearted hairdresser and a 76-year-old apprentice on a 10-day road trip in Queensland. Wow. There you go. Tune there in for go. that. Also in. <laughs> happening on TV this week is White Rabbit Project, which kicks off on Netflix, and it's from the team that brought you Mythbusters, and as far as I can tell, this is just Mythbusters. All over again. Like, it's called White Rabbit Project, but they're looking into topics like jailbreaks, superpower, technology, heists, World War II weapons, and through experiments and building and testing, they build and test and experiment. That's just Mythbusters. That sounds, sounds like, like a completely new concept. What are you talking about? But it's called White Rabbit Project, and it's happening on Netflix this week. All right, and some entertainment news before Mate, we proceed. We do have some big entertainment news this week. There's a new Disney movie coming out on Boxing Day called Moana, which is a new cartoon, and yeah. it opened uh, last week in the States and took in a lot of money. So over the Thanksgiving long weekend in the States, over that five-day period, 
it became the third largest three-day Thanksgiving opening of all time. Of all time. And it's only in second place in terms of Thanksgiving debuts in the Disney scheme of things to a little movie you might like to call Frozen. Oh, that was Sam's favorite, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Moana couldn't smash Frozen, but it's doing very well, raking a lot of money, and it's going to be out here on Boxing Day. All right. And then also, um, for the Christmas season, it's interesting. I do some different writing and some different blogs and things. And one of the things uh, that our readership actually asked for was a Christmas film advent. And so one of the things that we did on Real Dialogue and also on Wrestling Reviews is 25 films that would kind of point you towards Christmas and you'd be able to watch throughout the Christmas right, season. So, so what did you suggest on these websites you write for? Well, I'll, I'll let you go through and look at the full 25. You can be able to see. But, can you uh, give us a hint? Uh, but there's a few. Okay. Uh, a few it's of them One is Elf. Uh, there was also It's a Wonderful Life. Of course. A Christmas Carol, kind of different ones and different sure. versions. And if you can believe it, probably one of the most popular, at least based on everybody's response to this list, is Die Hard. Die Hard? Die Hard. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, av- oh. oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't mind checking that out. So that's on Real Dialogue and Rustling Reviews. That's correct. Okay. Now, gentlemen, before we get to the first review of the show this week, Trolls in What Your Kids Are Watching segment, before we get there, here's a little bit of a pointer to what's coming up later in the show. Mm. There's a new film directed by Ang Lee called Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. It's a crazy great, title. We'll, we'll talk title. about that a little bit later on. <laughs> Ang Lee, very celebrated director. He directed right. Sense and Sensibility, The Ice Storm, Brokeback Mountain. He also made Hulk in 2003, which didn't fare so well, that Marvel mm. superhero yeah, movie. Right. But it was a very interesting experiment nonetheless. nonetheless. Now, here is a true or false statement oh, yeah, about true false. Hulk. Tell me... well. Think about it, and you can tell me the answer a little bit later on. Okay. Whether you think this is true or false. It took the combined work and efforts of about 180 technicians, more than 2.5 million hours, what? to create the Hulk up on screen. So, did it take 180 technicians and more than 2.5 million hours to create the Hulk in the movie Hulk? Hmm. True or false? So I think the answer is somewhere in the numbers there. It's like, so yeah. is the numbers right or is it not right? So it'll be The answer to is see. somewhere there. We'll come back to that after we discuss this. All right. Well, are you truly happy, gentlemen? Oh, oh. thanks for asking, oh, yeah, Sam. Yeah, yeah, Sam. Yeah, pretty good. Back. Yeah. Thank can, you for that can happiness come from merely singing songs, dancing and hugging someone perhaps every hour? Oh. Wow. It had been thought quite a bit quite like did, that. Did you need a hug right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what's on offer from Trolls, the latest star-studded and big-budget cartoon to invade our cinemas. Uh, for the children of the 60s and the 80s, perhaps, uh, Trolls is a rainbow-bright rainbow throwback to your youth. But can these dolls of yesteryear translate to a new generation? Branch! Branch! Branch, are you in there? Huh? I'm not going to your party. The party's over. We just got attacked by a Bergen. I knew it! It took Cooper and Buzzbird and Biggie and Guy Diamond and Freak! Which is why I have to ask you... Will you go to Bergentown with me and save everyone? What? No. Branch, you can't say no, they're your friends! Ah, ah, ah! They're your friends. You just want to hide here forever? Forever? <sighs> no. So, Russ, uh, I remember as a kid seeing these troll dolls around exactly. with, the, with the large outlandish hair. But is there a story here to mind, like about dolls with fuzzy rainbow hair, really? You know, it's, it's fascinating when you kind of look at this technicolor world that I think DreamWorks has really done a great job of getting the marketing right. I think they've done a great job of getting the merchandising right as far as parents wanting to go out and buy all these things with these wonderful uh, colored hair. Like the and colored I, hair wig that you're wearing right now, exactly. which I'm really trying hard not I, to talk about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
it's, it's, it's great for radio. Me. It's great for radio. <laughs> anyway, but also they get the music right. But I think that the story really kind of struggles because it's kind of a murky tale. Uh, it really starts with in looking at Trollstice. Trollstice, which is what celebrated is... by the Bergens, which is kind of the villainous <laughs> group, or almost what? kind of the troll-like. And their way of finding happiness, going back to Sam's question at the very beginning, their way of finding happiness is eating trolls. Ah. And they do this once a year at Trollstice. And so on, at Trollstice, they go through and eat these um, small little technicolor dreams called trolls. And But yet this time, King Peppy... King Peppy <laughs> manages to get his troll crew, a community, out of um, underneath the rule of the Bergens. But um, 20 years later, his his daughter, Princess Poppy, <laughs> Princess Poppy, who's played by Anna Kendrick, you know, from Pitch, Pitch, Pitch oh, yeah, Perfect. Oh, yes, yes. Pitch Perfect. She does the voice. Yep. And uh, they have a big, loud party. And guess what it attracts the attention of? The Bergens. Uh, and so the Bergens come and actually kidnap coming? it. Yeah, like know, you make like, a bit oh, of noise when you've been mm, hiding. Isn't well, that going to alert? Did. Somebody did see it coming. Oh, they did? It was Branch. 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 Who's played by Justin Timberlake. That's or not nearly JT. As, not, I know you call him JT. Yeah, that's it's not, not nearly as catchy a name as Peppy or Poppy. Uh, like, Peppy or Poppy, Branch. but Branch. Well, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of a darker character. Okay. But in essence, they try and go and save the rest of the troll community and then maybe bring happiness to the world, not only of the trolls, but also the Bergens. Okay, so in answer to my question of whether there's a story there, I'm still not entirely convinced whether there is, and it does sound largely... Uh, yeah, no, I'm not sure. So this sounds more like a movie constructed to sell stuff like merchandise, like, like a soundtrack, as you mentioned, Pitch Perfect's Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake, JT, as you like to refer to him, are doing the leads and in this. Dami, Dami Im yeah. provides a voice and a song on the soundtrack. Is there is there anything more to this, particularly speaking with parents? We put this in our What Your Kids Are Watching segment this week because you know kids are going to be attracted to this. But oh, for definitely. the parents particularly, is there anything more to this than just a soundtrack? Uh, not really. I mean, there is, but there's not. I mean, there, there's something about the whole happiness thing that they kind of go down that track uh, as far as looking at where do you find true happiness. Okay, so but, that's kind uh, of a constant uh, vibe kind going of through constant it. vibe. But you will have to say, I mean, if you go along, and I, we were sitting in a theater with a whole bunch of little kids, and re- when they were really engaged was when the music was on. And the songs are good. Um, the animation is really well done. And there's an interesting story, but really it's pretty anemic as far as the, what you're able to get, even though there's this technical colored dream kind of happening around them. All right, so there's singing, there's dancing, there's hugging. Is there anything significant uh, to this film that maybe kids can take home from Trolls? Well, really... Uh, the, beyond uh, the soundtrack, beyond the wigs, beyond the toys. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're loving the wig. <laughs> you're completely thrown Can we just not talk about the wig? <laughs> can we talk about the wig? But is there stuff they can the kids can really take out with them from the cinema? You know, really what I took away from this is, as a parent, was really it's really what the parents can do with this. Because there is this whole theme of happiness and where you can find happiness. Not only for the Trolls, but also the Bergens. So is it just a matter of music, dancing, and hugging? Or is it a matter matter of what you eat or put into your put into yourself that you're actually truly able to be gain eating it. more trolls to be more happy <laughs> <laughs> be, it truly being happy and not too dark there but really when you come out of that and really looking at and be able to look to where do you find joy where do you find contentedness where is it that life really what it has to yeah, yeah. offer it's and, a pretty easy like open door to walk through isn't oh, it from it, a movie like this to, to ask that question yeah the parents unfortunately too I think one of the things that the Bible helps us to equip us to be able to do is be able to answer that question in looking at the thankfulness of giving the life that we have it's not necessarily just because we hug and dance not that those things aren't bad in themselves they're not necessarily always the answer it's really looking to the answer that we can have in finding joy and contentedness from the life that God has given us. And I think that this is a great opportunity for parents to be able to talk with their children about what it is to really be happy. 
All right, well, Trolls stars the voice talents of Justin Timberlake and Anna Kendrick and Australia's very own Dami Im, as we just mentioned, and it hit cinemas last Thursday, the 1st of December, and is rated PG for mild, rude humour. Okay, from Trolls back to Ang Lee, that celebrated director, made Sense and Sensibility, Brokeback Mountain, and also tried his hand at Marvel superhero movie in the shape of Hulk in 2003. So true or false, gentlemen, did it take 180 technicians more than 2.5 million hours to create the Hulk that we saw up on screen. That's a lot of hours. I'm going to say no. I'm going to I'm going to actually probably go down the false path. I have a feeling it's big, but I don't think it's necessarily 2.5 million. True. All of that was true. Really? 180 what? technicians, more than 2.5 million hours, everything from 69 technical artists to 35 compositors, six skin painters and skin five painters. motion <laughs> capture wranglers, as well as many other technicians, all contributed to Hulk being up on screen, and that still didn't really make people love it. That was right. a lot of hours to invest in something that people sort of went... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about. But we'll be talking about Ang Lee's latest work, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk later in the show. Fantastic. All right. Well, coming up next on The Big Picture, Justin Timberlake. We've been talking about trolls. He can't be stopped from taking a spin with us. Mm-mm. And then we play a very different tune, the provocative Australian TV experiment, First Contact. Welcome back to The Big Picture. I'm Ben here with Sam. Nice to see you again, Sam. Welcome back. Glad you're enjoying fatherhood, etc., oh, etc. Loving it. It's great. Okay, enough about you. <laughs> on, to, on to Russ, who is filling in for Mark Hadley this week. Russ, thanks for bringing us the news on Trolls just before the break. And now as we get to soundtrack selection, I believe you have something from the Trolls soundtrack. You know what? If Trolls gives us anything yes. of positive, it would be definitely the soundtrack. I mean, you, you have all your Technicolor creatures. You have all the other the beautiful landscapes that are on there. But yet, it is the soundtrack. And it has everybody, the who's who in the in the music industry. Yeah, like who? Ariana Grande. Sure. James Gordon. Yep. Uh, Gwen, Gwen Stefani. Yep. Earth, Wind, and Fire. You had me at Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, that's right. And then, <laughs> But then, of course, we have Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling. I got this feeling inside my bones It goes electric wavy when I turn it on All from my city, all from my home We're flying up no ceiling when we in our zone I got that sunshine in my pocket Got that good soul in my feet I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops Ooh, I can't take my eyes off of it Moving so phenomenally Come on, like the way we rock it So don't stop And under the lights when everything goes Nowhere to hide when I'm getting you close When we move, well, you already know So just imagine You when you dance, 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 feel a good, good creeping up on you. So just dance, 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 come on. All those things I shouldn't do, but you dance, dance, dance. And ain't nobody leaving soon, so keep dancing. I can't stop the feeling. So just dance. Oh, 
It just makes you move in your seat and tap your toes, doesn't it? It's like the, the, <laughs> does, feel, good, the it feel good folks. I mean, I, I, you did, maybe you didn't get to see it because it's on radio, but I mean, these guys are just dancing around the studio. Uh, but it's the feel good. And also even the the videos. There were two videos that kind of came out in regards to this. Yeah, One yeah. had the cast, you know, Anna Kendrick, um, Justin Timberlake, Gwyneth, Gwyneth Stefani, all of them kind of dancing around and kind of getting excited about it. In the film clip. The, in the feel film, good hit of the year. The feel good hit of the year. Yes. But then also just the the... This is kind of really um, the happy um, from, you know, Despicable Me Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that it, song Happy. It, yeah, it's the yes. same sort of thing. It's just it makes you want to sing along and kind of dance, but you're really not sure there why. There are a lot of similarities, aren't they? Yeah. Just from, from the sound of the song to it being attached to a movie to the video clip as well. So are you oh, saying this is this year's happy? This is this year's happy. Who knows what we'll get next year? <laughs> I wonder. Happy I don't too. know. It's something about happy. <laughs> I don't know. Happiness. <laughs> All right, question. Do you know an Indigenous Australian or do you know anything really about Indigenous Australians? Mm. Well, this week, the second round of SBS social experiment First Contact showed what happened when six celebrities spent one month with First Peoples. And it sparked a big reaction of tweets and news stories and news stories made up of tweets. But First Contact, whatever you think about it, it got attention. But what are we to learn from this cross-cultural walkabout? Is there a time limit on getting over your race being wiped out? How many hundreds of years is it supposed to be that you're just meant to just get up and get over it? I don't think it's for us to speak on. You've got to get off the grog. And I've stopped drinking for this show because I feel as a mark of respect, that's the right thing to do. And trust me, if I can do it, anyone can do it. If 
pushed, I would have to say I have had racist thoughts about Aboriginal people. I don't hate them, I don't love them, but maybe I don't care or think enough about them. Wow, Ben, there's been a lot of stir about this whole mm-hmm. show, but can, can you maybe kind of tell us what really happened in First Contact, the show itself? Yeah, yeah, for anyone who missed it, that clip we just played then is a pretty good demonstration of the basic setup of First Contact. This is the second edition of First Contact. There's been a series before the SBS made. Did you guys see that one? No, the I didn't get Contact? a chance to, no. no. So the basic idea is that uh, for some reason people are celebrities, but they get six celebrities and deposit them in various places in Australia to hang out with Indigenous people for about a month and see the way that they live. And as that clip demonstrated, you get a lot of uh, frank admissions of how people feel about Indigenous Australians or think about them or whether they met them and that kind of thing. On this series, you've got everyone from Australian Idol judge Dicko to singer Natalie Imbruglia, One Nation co-founder David Oldfield and a comedian called Tom. Ballard, like a fair, it's a bit of a cross section, sure, but it's still a celebrity cross section mm-hmm. from Australia. And so, what happens on First Contact, which was a th- which was a three episode special on SBS in the middle of the week, was a whole bunch of people going into situations that they'd never been to before. Some of them more willing than others. Some of them right. are willing to have their own thoughts challenged. Most of them were pretty much along the lines of uh, either I don't know enough and I'd like to know more, or I've got a lot of prejudice about Indigenous people, but I'm willing to challenge them. The Probably the biggest one, and the one that kind of caused a fair bit of stir, was David Oldfield, the co-founder of Old Na- of One Nation, who said stuff like, you know, Aboriginal culture should have died out like the Stone Age, and oh. that their culture was unnecessary, and it's it's not good for Aborigines to remain Aborigines. Mm. Like, those kind of statements. Now, that's very provocative stuff, and no wonder it caused a stir. But as the show went along a bit further... David Oldfield did have some of his positions challenged, but he was one of the guys on the show who was the most kind of objectionable to watch because, well, he just uh, often didn't show a lot of respect for the people right. that he was talking to. Now, maybe not everyone kind of knows or maybe has heard about some of the different reactions to the show, but maybe you could tell us a little, what what do you make of kind of some of the reactions to it? It was one of those shows, guys, that lit up social media when it it came on. And you can can see why, just from the summary of the show, you could basically write a lot of the tweets and a lot of the news stories that came out afterwards. You tend to get a reaction to this show, a bit like that SBS program Struggle Street that came out last year and caused a similar stir in as much as it will provoke things both ways. So on one hand... You get everything from people saying, oh, this is racist and offensive. And you've got basically just a bunch of white people going in and sort of telling us what's going on with Indigenous Australia Mm. rather than Indigenous Australians telling us what they would like. On the other hand, you get people saying, oh, this is a fantastic social experiment and this raises our consciousness about Indigenous issues. And just because white, quote unquote, people are going in and kind of paving the way for Mm. us to discuss it, the fact is that we are still discussing it. Uh, I... I, I was a little bit mixed on this, and I think a lot of people will be as well when you're watching it, because I don't disagree with that criticism of the show that it's very strange to have six fairly privileged white Australians going into Indigenous communities and kind of being our eyes and ears, but it is often about them more than the Indigenous oh, Australians. Yeah. Mm. So I can see mm. why people would criticise the show 
in on, on that on that right. front. But by the same token, uh, the Indigenous Australians that we get to meet in all kinds of circumstances in this show, everything from uh, people in uh, like uh, detention centres to uh, sorry, like into sorry j- jails being detained, to uh, people from the stolen generations, to to just people living in remote communities and their their housing's overcrowded. You do get to hear from these uh, pe- uh, people in our country that so often people like myself just don't ever meet, let alone hear from, and really don't quite understand what they're living with, right. even though we have constant news reports about mm. it over the years. I still don't really feel like a lot of people in this show that are going to these communities, I feel like I don't really understand what's going on with Aboriginal Australia. It seems like uh, First Contact aimed to help non-Indigenous people understand Indigenous peoples better. Uh, do you think it succeeds or fails, Ben? I reckon overall, on balance, it's a, it's a success. For as much as the criticism of the show uh, is fair in terms of, like, really did it have to be made with white people going in there? Um, there I read this really interesting piece that I think summarised the show very well and the aim of the show. It was written by Ray Martin's daughter. Ray Martin is, like, the host of this show. Okay. His daughter is a freelance journalist. She wrote on news.com.au you this week basically saying that her dad had told her that the point of this show was that uh, he was thinking that a lot of people in Australia don't think that Aboriginal issues matter and so part of First Contact was basically just to get up on air to suggest that yes these people matter and to to make any changes in Australia we have to recognise that yes they do and we need to then do something about it and so yeah on the scale of did it work or not I think just on the level of us talking about it let alone Mm. all the commentary that went on during the week discussing this show I think yes, it justifies making the show, and we love here to talk about you know thinking about things as Christians and reflecting on shows. As I'm watching this show, it was calling to mind parts of the Bible for me, like James chapter two, that talks about uh, having a Christian faith but not demonstrating anything by it. And a right. massive challenge for me in first contact as an Australian was. When I see the issues that are going on for Indigenous Australians, what am I to do about that? And the show isn't even necessarily saying you have to do something. It's calling you to think about it. And I was caused to think, well, if my Christian faith is extending out to loving all of my community, how would I go about demonstrating that? Mm. So first contact provoked that in me, let alone all the other things it provoked. So on that front, I think it was a success. So you think it was worthwhile seeing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. First Contact aired this week uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday night. So, unless you've got a time machine, you can't watch it. Except oh. you can go, of course, to SBS's online service, SBS On Demand, and Phew. catch up there. Oh, good. Uh, First Contact is rated M for mature themes and coarse language. Guys, still to come on the show, one lady's up-close-and-personal encounter with a real Oscar. Oh, really? And we're also going to find out what on earth Billy Lynn's long halftime walk is all about. Welcome back to the show. I'm Ben. I'm with Sam and also Russ, who is doing a stellar job of filling in for Mark this week. Hey, thanks, Ben. All right, guys. The history of the Academy Awards, the world's most famous big movie awards, apart from the big pictures, upcoming Eternals. Coming very in a couple soon. Of weeks. Yes, that's right. Well, from Meryl Streep to Ang Lee, the Life of Pi director, whose latest movie we'll soon discuss, Oscar winners are the kinds of movie heavyweights that everybody knows about. But for the press record segment this week, Ben spoke with Wendy Porter, a Sydney woman who you probably have never heard of, about her real-life encounter with Mr. Oscar. I was looking all through IMDb. I was scouring the internet to try to find your name among past Oscar winners. But Wendy Porter, I couldn't discover it on any list of Oscar winners. But am I understanding this correctly? That recently you were holding a true, a real Oscar. Absolutely. I was exactly that. But, 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 but Wendy, 
Wendy, let's just go back to that bit where you haven't actually won an Oscar, right? No, sadly, although, you know, I had one short film competition, but well, it didn't involve an Oscar, unfortunately. Oh, well, congratulations on that uh, short film win. But, but let's get back to Oscar. How on earth were you in the presence of a real Oscar and holding a real Oscar? Yeah, holding it. That was pretty cool. Well, was that this work, um, this work thing we had on... And we had a guest speaker, which was Adam Elliott, who I have to confess, I didn't know who he was at all. <laughs> and and, and Wendy, for anyone else who doesn't know either, Adam Elliott was an Australian animator who won an Oscar, what, about 10, 15 years ago for a short film he made called Harvey Crumpet. That's right, I know that now. And he did a bit of a bit of a blurb and he talked all about that the night of getting the Oscar and what it was like and what happened and everything that happened. He, he told us all the details of it. It was terribly exciting. And then at the end, he showed us the Oscar, which was really incredible and I was sitting at my sitting at my table just busting to get a close look at it. <laughs> sorry, sorry to cut you off, Wendy, but up until that point you didn't know Oscar was in the room? Didn't know. Oh. Didn't know. And then he just like busted out of this box and I was just, I thought, oh my gosh, that's a real Oscar. And he sort of held it up and showed us. It was, it was so terribly exciting. And then he, he said the magic words that if we wanted to get a photo with the Oscar, we could do that after his talk. So the second he finished speaking, he put the Oscar down in its little box. And I just left there, I threw my chair aside, shoving people out the way. I went, I went barging, barging up to, to be the first to get a photo with it. Had real Oscar fever going on, Wendy. I was a bit crazed as I reached for the Oscar. He said, "No, no, you can't. You can't just touch it. You can't just pick it up." What, what do you mean you can't touch it? Why, why can't a normal person just touch an Oscar? He said, "No, no, no. It's um. You got to be careful. You got to hold it just from the base because the gold comes off and it's rubbing off a bit. And you've got to be really careful. It's real gold and." Wait, 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 Wendy. What real gold comes off? Real gold. It's coated in real gold, and because it's been fondled bit this one there was little bits of the gold coming off so we didn't want to lose too much more of the gold so there was this special way of holding it so I was I was a little bit probably close to him he probably was a little thinking a bit scared of me so he showed me how to hold it he said I had, I had to hold it from the base and I thought oh, give, give it to me I'll keep trying to get it from him <laughs> and finally he let me touch it and it weighed a ton yeah. So I nearly dropped it. It is real gold, Wendy. <laughs> he, I know, he hands it to me. I'm carefully holding the base and it weighs over three kilos. So it's incredibly heavy and you can't just hold it in one hand. So I was a bit panicked that my other hand would accidentally go and touch the, the, main, <laughs> the, the main bit of it. So, But I was really, really careful holding it and I might have held onto it a little tight and it might have been a little bit hard to get it back off me, but I was <laughs> clinging to it a little bit. People were taking photos of so I just felt like I was there and I was famous and it was too exciting. And for my final question, Wendy, did you thank God during your Oscar speech? If I'd had a chance to have a speech, um, absolutely I would have. That would have been, yeah, God would have been number one for, for that big win of mine, my Oscar win. <laughs> Well, it's hard to imagine what goes on in the mind of a soldier after a major battle and then what it must be like to be thrown back into their home culture after that. The acclaimed American novel Billy Lynn's halftime, Long Halftime Walk uh, tries to place readers in that very experience. Uh, celebrated director and Life of Pi uh, director, also Brokeback Mountain, Ang Lee, has brought the popular novel to our local cinemas. But can this full immersion storytelling style draw us in? Like, what if you don't go? I have to, Kat. I made a commitment. 
I've still got a long walk ahead of me. And I will be waiting for you. What do we owe the pleasure of your enlistment, Private Lin? Sorry, excuse for a warrior I'm turning out to be. Make it about something bigger than yourself. These men are fighters. Let your training guide you. Miss it? It's going down. What? Let's go! The life of Billy Lynn has really taken a surreal turn. You'd think that a soldier who had been fighting and battling um, with, along with Bravo Squad in Iraq would have enough of a surreal experience. But then to not only take what is probably one of the most horrific experiences of his life and going through this major battle that occurred in Iraq, but then winning the Silver Star, which is kind of one of the... this heroism, um, one of the top awards that he could ever receive, but then being thrown into um, the victory tour that he has to go on um, to go through and really kind of celebrate the soldier back in the United States is really kind of going from one extreme to another extreme for this young character called Billy Lynn. And Billy Lynn's long halftime entertainment, I mean, long halftime show is about going through this halftime entertainment show at a professional football game in the United States. And really his experience of the the culture shock that he experiences, but then also looking at what he had to go through. And so Ang Lee really brings this whole story to, to light and really looking at the mind of a soldier at, at, through this experience. Russ, how big a stumbling block do you reckon to the film's success is the title of this of this film? And also, I heard that Ang Lee was trying to push some real technical boundaries with this film, like really like cutting-edge technology he's trying to use in the film. So, firstly, the title, do you think that's going to get in the way of it being successful? I mean, the title comes directly from the, the novel that it's based yep. on. And so, it, there, it, there, there's quite a successful novel uh, and one that understand why they took the title directly. But I think it almost should have been a subtitle because even as Sam experienced, it's hard to see even get it off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It doesn't like, really how, how do you even say it? And so, um, nothing against Sam or even myself, but I mean, it's just hard to even say it. Yeah, so, yeah, what, yeah. why would you even want to go if you don't understand the title? But secondly, Ang Lee really wanted to push the, this new level. Ang Lee is this, you know, celebrated double Oscar winner. Um, and so, he looked into technical issues, and what he shot it at was at 120 seconds. 120 uh, frames per second? Fr frames per second, opposed to the traditional 40 frames per second. It's supposed to be this full immersion experience that you're supposed to gain. It's almost kind of like 3D without the glasses. Right, it's almost like hyper-real. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. you're really just supposed to feel like you're in it. But, so it doesn't make it feel like you're in it? Well, see, unfortunately, what have, it sort of does, but I, I don't know if anybody told Aang that there were only so, there were only about three projectors in the United States that actually could play it, <laughs> and there were none here in Australia. <laughs> I would have thought someone would mention that to Aang along the <laughs> maybe, way. Maybe. Maybe it would have been a good idea, because yeah. so, there's all these articles written on it. It was something that he really had focused on, and unfortunately, I think he focused more on the technical side than he did really on what he's good at, and that is telling a great story. Okay, okay. Now, the, in the lead... Is is a guy called Joe Alwyn. Alwyn, Alwyn yep. yeah, who's basically a relative unknown. I can't think of anything else that he, he's been in. Does it work that he's in the lead role? He must have a lot to do. And he's surrounded by quite a starry cast. It's got Kristen Stewart from Twilight, right? Steve Martin's in this. <laughs> Steve Martin. Mark Hadley's favorite actor, Vin Diesel. Of course. Of, unless you're talking about Ben Affleck. Well, but, we're but, talking <laughs> about the Academy Awards coming up here pretty that, soon. Vin that's Diesel. Right, Vin is, Diesel's is always on the top so, of the list. So there's some bigger names in this. How does Joe Alwyn go as Billy Lynn? I, I, I was really surprised, but I felt like it was the right casting for him to do, mainly because the. That Ang Lee did. The Ang Lee did for Joe to actually be in the lead character because I think. Oh, you mate Joe? Uh, yeah, I mean, like to call I know, Joe. So, so, I'm just. <laughs> I know. Hey, you know, we go, we go way back where Americans, all Americans know each other. And. Um, 
But the, the the casting of somebody who's a relative unknown, it was worthwhile having somebody who I think was going through this overwhelming experience of just being in a major motion picture for the first time. Um, and because the whole experience of Billy Lynn was this overwhelming experience of something that he really hadn't gone through before. And so to like kind of guy, see this... You're effectively innocent, trying to witness a guy processing events that he's exactly. lived through? Yeah. Okay. So, so in essence, he is really kind of getting what is the Billy Lynn experience of being completely overwhelmed by everything that's happening around him. Almost can't believe it that it's all happening around him. But in a way, he I think he's very genuine, and I think that he really holds his own against like Garrett Garrett Headland, who I think is probably one of the best characters in the film, and then also Vin Diesel and then um, Kristen Stewart. Now, Ang Lee, uh, in most of his films, usually gives us something to think about. It, it's, I'm getting the vibe you don't feel like this is his best film, but is there something to chew on as you leave the cinema? Uh, I, Sam, I definitely think so. I still think it's something worth engaging with, and, and one of those things that really leaves you with some bigger questions when you're leaving. And one of the things I found in most films, especially with The Life of Pi and also with this film, is that uh, one of the things that Ang Lee does is really kind of goes through the spiritual. He doesn't just do the physical elements or the emotional, but he also looks at the spiritual components. Let's go a bit under the surface it, it definitely does yeah but also but he puts it right out there mm. um, as far as all of the different experiences and looking at all the different roads or the different worldviews as it were but he doesn't necessarily jump into just one specific one most of the time he usually kind of leaves it all out there for you to mm -hmm. consider and uh, so I think that that's one of the values of, that you can do now maybe some make people some make some people uncomfortable because they he doesn't necessarily say specifically this is it mm. this some is people the just road. want someone to say the answer Right, because yeah. it, well, he, he shows Christianity in the southern part of the United States. He shows Buddhism, um, all those those different components. All those things in Billy Lynn. In, all in Billy Lynn. Yes. But yet, one of the things that I think that we have in, in going through and studying it, and this way I encourage people to do, is that, uh, that Christianity really does give us a very specific... Um, direction that we can know and understand oh, like where when we you can look put into it. it more deeply. When you look at more de deeply, I mean, a question, the questions that are asked is to go through and look at what do I believe, what do I understand and know. And I don't think you have to leave. The film might leave you confused, but the Bible doesn't necessarily put us in that position of being confused. I mean, you can just look at the words of Jesus, you can look at the words of the Bible, and really know specifically what it is uh, that is the one path, the one way to understanding and knowing who God is. And so it's pretty straightforward what the Bible gives us. And that's where I really think that a film like Billy Lynn, instead of kind of rejecting the message, is really kind of going through and evaluating what it is that you believe and understand and know about God. Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, directed by Oscar-winning director Ang Lee. The stars Joe Orwin, Garrett Hedlund, Vin Diesel. It's in cinemas now. It's rated MA15 Plus for language throughout. Some war violence, sexual content, and brief drug use. All right, coming up on The Big Picture, my favourite part of the show, no offence, guys, it is the top five, and Russ is going to bring it to us this week. Uh, Russ's top five things that movies taught him about Australia. Welcome back to the show. I'm Ben here with Sam and Russ. Filling in for Mark. You're going to be here next week as well? I am. I'm, I'm thrilled. Fantastic. Uh, very soon you're going to be bringing us your top five for this week. Before we get there, though, here's a public service announcement for everybody. Everybody the, should listen now. The Eternals, the Big Pictures Movie and TV Awards, are coming up on December 18. They're going to be announced on the show on December 18, but there's still time to vote for your favourite movie, TV, actor, actresses, directors, etc., etc. Go to thebigpicturewebsite.com, follow all the prompts, and you right. can cast your vote for The Eternals this year, including in a category such as, what's your most favourite film from the past 12 months? Gentlemen, if I had to put that question to you right now, which I'm doing, 
What's your most favourite film from the past 12 months? Zam, what would you, you vote for? Oh, I can't deal with that question right now. I haven't thought about it. Come on, mate. What about you, Russ? I, I'm going to have to go with Hacksaw Ridge. I've gone to see, I went and saw it again this past week, and it still has legs. I, mean, I really enjoyed it. Also, every single person I take to it, we just come out talking about so many different areas and components of life. So, yeah, I still think Hacksaw Ridge is probably one of my favourites of the year. Wow, that's a pretty good selection. Not Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them or Doctor Strange yeah. or Star Trek or any all, other all movies pretty, that Mark Hadley likes. Oh, pretty good, yeah. You know, it would definitely, anything with Ben Affleck in it. And we've also got an, other unusual categories that say something like the Oscars, for example, those little awards called the Oscars, they don't do categories like this, but the Eternals does. We've oh, even right. got a category of what's your most favourite kind of movie. So you could vote for anything from comedy to science fiction or, mm. Russ, I believe that you're going to put your vote in for romance. Romance is definitely... <laughs> yeah, which is a little bit unexpected from a bloke <laughs> yeah, yeah, that you'd be exactly. doing that. Oh. But you can do that when you vote oh, yeah, for the Eternals. Hey, you know fine. what? I've got a good marriage. I really enjoy a good romance yeah, yeah. every once in a while. That's, that's, right. that's right. You're right. comfortable with who you are. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what you're about that. as a bloke. Right. And loving romance movies. Exactly. It's it's, it's all about the bromance. It, it is. There, you could, there is an other. You can you can you can put bromance, bromance in for your in favorite kind of movie. If you like go. all of that can be found on the voting form at thebigpicturewebsite.com. Go to the website, follow the links, vote now for the Eternals that will be announced on December 18. Well, here at the Big Picture, one of the things that we love to do is to educate people using film. Right. We, we, we try. Well, we try. <laughs> we, we try. That's the attempt. And we have in our presence today our local American expat, Russell Matthews, uh, who immigrated to the Great Southern Land in when? 2006? 2006. So, wow. yeah, it's coming Ten up on years. 11 years. It's almost 11 years. Wow. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, since then, Russ, you've been Long visited by... Life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you've been visited, Russ, by many friends from the US and other parts of the planet. And so, to help them, as well as many other tourists and fellow uh, future Australian citizens, uh, Russ has put together a movie list to help with the transition to the land down under. That's a good idea, Russ. So, top five this week is this educational summary of what what you can learn about Australia from movies? That's right. Well, because the thing is that I think that when we came, we weren't given necessarily the best choices in regards to seeing what truly is Australia or understanding a little bit about Australia. You mean from movies? From movies. I mean, they were good films. I mean, The Man from Snowy River, <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. We're all like that. We're, we're basically The Man from Snowy River. Well, you all guys of walk us. around with those large knives, I've noticed all the time. And so, but, um, and also there's even some honorable mentions that, that are good films, but I don't know if necessarily most expats would really kind of get like the castle is great but i don't think most people would get the humor until they've lived here for a few years uh maybe muriel's wedding i you, you have to enjoy the mad max anthology but even <laughs> even even kenny even but kenny uh we're kind of going you through might be like, disappointed to get to australia and discover it's not like mad max it's, yet. It's, yet. not yet not yet well the fact that kenny actually had to have subtitles in the united states really shows it struggled so they, i'm gonna go through and give you my top five of how how it would be best for you to be able to come into Australia understanding it a little bit better through film. Five. The first is The Dish. Oh. The Dish, remember from 2000? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, most people don't make, realize that the impact that Australia actually had on the um, the moon landing back in 1969. But uh, this is the based on a true story, but it's also a bit of a comedy. Uh, but I think that the comedy really 
comes through kind of the culture clash between Americans and Australians in particular and kind of seeing the differences that there are. I mean, also a lot of the misunderstandings that occur between the two because so many people try to equate the two cultures, but really that this film really shows that there's a difference, even though that we really can work together, that we have a lot of commonalities. And you've discovered that, Russ, in your 10 slash 11 years of being in Australia? Yeah, that's right. I, I think that, yeah, so you basically your life has been like the dish? <laughs> it's a very similar dish. And I walk around with a pipe, just like Sam Neill throughout the whole thing. <laughs> Four. This one actually, had, I had to put in something for the family, and one that the family voted on and thought that was one of the best films would be Red Dog. Your family is down oh, with the Red family. Dog? Well, Plenty of Australian me. families are down with the Red Dog. But why would an American family living in Australia be into Red Dog? Well... One of the things you may not realize or when you're really looking at it, I mean, it's a, it's a great film. It's entertaining. Um, uh, all of the different relationships and the comedy that kind of goes with it. But when you look at all of the different cultures that are actually experienced in this mining community, community of Dampier. Um, that Over there in Western Australia. It's showing that Australia really is a, a, a nation of immigrants. And the impact that the immigrants have really had on yet and also getting used to and understanding Australian culture that I think Red Dog and also even the relationship relationship between the two lead characters, the romance that actually happens between the two lead characters really kind of shows the differences in the different cultures, but also the value of actually living in Australia. So are you subtly suggesting through your number four choice, Russ, that the impact of immigrants on this country can be seen, say, in the life of you and your family? That you as immigrants have had this amazing impact upon Australia? Is that what you're suggesting? No, no, like those in Red Dog, we no, also I don't, I don't want should be struck by <laughs> we should be struck by the impact you've had. Is this what you're listening about? This is just about you. <laughs> it's not about it's all me turning at all. back towards you. Uh, really, what it comes down to is actually the impact that Australia has actually had on us. Ah, I think is more than ah. more than it is on our impact on Australia. Three. The third um, really goes to a, a kind of a darker side of Australian history, but one that most Americans would not understand, and also many people around the world. Atrocities have occurred all over the world as far as humans against humans, but the whole experience that happens in a rabbit-proof fence and really looking mm. at the, the mm. stolen generation, I think you can't explain it um, if you try and just put it through the lens of, say, slavery in the United States or some of the other uh, things that have occurred around the world. It still can't fully be understood until you've really seen it, been here, been a part of it, and what happened with the Aboriginal community even during that time. And we're even, still talking about it now like we were earlier on the show with First Contact and the the impact that the Stolen Generations has had, not just on the people involved, directly involved in that, the children involved with that now, adults, but just the way it's affected Australia's consciousness as, as a people whenever it re-arises again, whenever we talk about the Stolen Generations. Russ, do people in America even know that this happened, do you think, in no. Australia? No, until I actually saw the film before we came, and then also and now after being here, and also being here when um, uh, our Prime Minister actually kind of did the sorry to the community of the Stolen Generation in particular. Mm, that was Not Kevin Rudd, wasn't it? Yeah, it was years Kevin ago. Rudd, yeah. yeah. I remember everybody stopping and actually going to their computer screens or their televisions to actually watch and kind of go through and see the impact that it had then and the significance, but yeah, how it's still kind of a prolific prolific throughout our culture. Yeah, yeah. And so, so you uh, think the 2002 film film Proof Fence is a really good summary of what happened, what the Stolen Generations is about. Yeah, I think I think that it really kind of helps to see that um, probably the one of the best depictions that I've seen out there, even though there are a lot of other films about the Aboriginal community. I think this really kind of shows kind of the steps that were taken um, in that whole experience. Two. And we're going to be talking about another film here, I think, next week. It's called The Legend of Ben Hall. So oh, yeah, you're going to be reviewing that on next week's show. Yeah, yeah. So definitely worthwhile getting out to see this one. But the one that that you cannot 
uh, myths as far as the story of Ned Kelly. Right, and right, so, right. Oh, yeah, because Legend of Ben Hall is about a bushranger, but pretty much a bushranger we've never heard of, Ben no. Hall. But Ned Kelly, on the other hand... Some of, us, some of us have heard of him. Yeah, everybody. But what about Americans? Have Americans heard of Ned Kelly? We, we have, but we really don't understand it. Until Is that because of the film. movies? Yeah, it's only because of film that you'd really even be able to see it, that Heath Ledger was in it. Oh, you're not you talking know. about the Mick Jagger version from back <laughs> in the 60s the or ones. 70s, I think? Well, yeah, that's Ned, true. Ned, Mick Ned's Jagger Kelly. played Ned Kelly. He did. He did. That's and true. That, and the, it was one of the first films was actually, Australian films was actually based on the story of Ned Kelly. I think I it think. was the first film, the story of the Kelly game, which allegedly is the first feature film made anywhere in the world. I think it was in 1906 oh, that wow. was made, something like that. Fantastic. But that, if I you wouldn't go, necessarily recommend going all the way back and trying to find that on Netflix. I don't think you can find it. <laughs> I don't think it's there. But if you do. Google it, I think it does tend to come up as the officially the first feature film. But you're not talking about that one. You're talking, talking about, about the, the Ned Kelly version I, I with think, Heath Ledger. I think people will be able to access it, you know, be able to see it, but also understanding something a part of our culture, especially when it comes to the Bush Ranger. I like how you said our culture, Russ. Yeah, that's what we feel. Well, we're citizens. citizens. I know we don't have the right accent, but we are definitely citizens and we love this country. But um, one of the, and also my wife, Kathy, loves the story of Ned Kelly. I think she's picked up on every single book that she can about him and going through and looking at it and going even down to the the jail down in Melbourne to kind of see kind of where his life came to an end. But... um, but the Ned Kelly story—it's a part of our culture. It's part of what what we understand and know about the, the Bush Ranger. And I think that to understand a bit more about kind of our heritage, Ned Kelly is a great place to go. One. Okay, the final one kind of comes down to what I've experienced, and you can tell me if I am wrong. But over the last few years, in particular, I've noticed that Anzac Day has become, I think, one of the most spiritual days. For most Australians, I mean, people will get up in the morning. I mean, at, at that's a pretty God fair for, way to God, describe God it. Godforsaken hour to go through and do these sunrise services. People will end up, end up, end up doing it, this pilgrimage all the way back to um, Turkey to be able to go through and celebrate. And I think that this film really kind of depicts this as Gallipoli. Right. So going back Good to Peter number one Weir's, choice. Yeah, 1981's Gallipoli. Because I think there's two key things that you're actually able to gain from Gallipoli, especially for those who are coming into the country. Is one is understanding the spiritual nature of the Anzac, even though I, I don't believe that there are any of the Anzacs alive anymore that actually experienced um, what went on back then, but yet it's still such a part of our, our DNA and what we are as a culture as far mm. as looking at less we forget. And who we, we think we are and, and deep down what, what yeah, we the think digger, of ourselves. You know, yeah, the digger and looking all that. But then also on the other side, I think this film really has a, a fair depiction of mateship. Which, for me, as far as my experience, mateship is hard to define and explain. It's, it goes beyond just being friends. Don't you have mates in, in America? You do, but it's different. I, I really... Yeah, I, buddies. I, I, we're buddies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dudes. And, um, <laughs> and so, opposed to that, but the mateship mentality and what people are willing to do for their mates here, I think, is really depicted beautifully in Gallipoli, but then also really kind of gives us a, a show of our history that just kind of continues to permeate all that we do. Hey, you know what your problem is? What? It's the way you start. Uh, <laughs> you're wrong, Hatch. No, 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 no. Crouching makes all the difference. Yeah. Harry LaSalle's a group. Hatch, you're wrong. Now, if you crouch down, you've got further to go to get up. Try it. First to the pyramids. Okay, you're on. Ready? Set. Go! Good on you, mate. 
Hey, that, was a, that, was, that, oh, was, that yeah. was a nice little encapsulation yeah, yeah, yeah. of Australia. Thanks. Good yeah, on you. It was fun to put together. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, mate. That's pretty good. Thanks. All right, we're just about out of time on the show this week. Oh, but coming up next mm. week on the show, I'm looking forward to this very much, Ben McEachin, Vampires versus Werewolves, because you are reviewing the latest uh, Underworld film. Yeah, I'm going to take on Vampires and Werewolves. And Russ, you'll still be with us, and you're going to be letting us know about that new Australian screen outlaw you just mentioned, The Legend of Ben Hall. Yes, and the time has come. For what? Are you ready? What? Rogue One, oh. a Star Wars story. That little movie this year, Rogue yeah, One, a Star out. Wars story. Yeah, all that next week. And I will be, not Ben Hall, but Ben McKechnie. And I'll still be Russell Matthews. And I'll be Sam Robinson. Catch you next week. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 